Welcome to the Dissolve Podcast, Episode 17, the Spontaneous Choreography Edition. I'm Scott Tobias, editor of the Dissolve. On today's show, the beginning of baseball season has us thinking about sports and movies, which ones play best on screen, and what are the big game moments that affect us the most. Then, New York Times culture reporter Dave Itzkoff joins us to talk about his new book, Mad as Hell, about the making of network. The game this week is Where Did I Leave My Keyword, in which I offer four IMDb keywords and ask our contestants which one doesn't belong. Then we wrap it up, as always, with our quick-fire recommendation segment, 30 Seconds to Sell. Stay tuned, Dissolvers. Spring is here, at least theoretically, uh, and that means the beginning of baseball season, where fans sweat out entire games, or sometimes weeks of games, for those precious seconds when the monotony breaks and something amazing happens. But movies have the advantage of skipping those dusty middle innings and going straight to those big game moments that make all the setbacks and struggles worthwhile. Still, not all sports are created equal in the eyes of cinema, and not all big game sequences have the same impact. Here to help me separate the best from the rest are the only two other sports fans at the Dissolve, <laughs> Noel Murray and Matt Singer. Hi, guys. Hello, Scott. How's it going? It's going all right. How's baseball? You liking, You guys enjoying baseball? So far, yes. Yep. No, no, I'm a Mets fan, so obviously <laughs> I'm not enjoying baseball. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, so I, I want to start with a, a, just a pretty general question. I think I th- almost feel like I know the answer to this from, from both of you since you are huge baseball fans, but maybe, maybe you'll surprise me here. But uh, what sport do you feel plays best on the screen and why, Noel Murray? Uh, I'm going to say a sport called baseball. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> well, and, and the reason is simple. I think it's the same reason why baseball, I think, inspires uh, so much good writing. Uh, it's because it's a game that's very leisurely at times, and then the big moments are very discreet. Uh, there's not the sort of constant flow of motion and action that you get from you know, football or, or basketball in particular. Is I think a sport that's very hard to do well on film because it's you know uh, it's sort of constantly moving back and forth, and there's so many points that you know recognizing one shot versus another shot as the as the key moment in the game uh, is a little less hard to dramatize. Mm-hmm. Um, and with football, I think that even though there are, uh, I think it was George Will who once called it a violence punctuated by committee meetings. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, there, there are these moments of contemplation in, in football, but as far as the actual action is concerned, um, you know, uh, it's, it's there's so many men on the field, so many things going on at once, whereas in baseball it tends to be one person who is engaged in the play. The ball is hit by one person, thrown by one person, coming to one person. And so it's a little bit easier to control. What do you think, Matt? Baseball is good, but actually I, I'm going to – I'll throw a, a proverbial curveball and say that I think the best sport on film is actually boxing. Um, I think that uh, something about boxing just lends itself to movies. And you know, as I was thinking about this uh, you know, topic and like what sports make the best – Movies. I felt like I was as I was envisioning the movies. I was seeing a lot of uh, sports that looked exactly like they do on television. You know, like football in movies tends to look a lot like football on TV or basketball. You know, there's they tend to just ape the presentation of a of a TV uh, presentation of the sport, and that can get a little boring because the the outcome is 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 already written and and. Part of what we love about those sports is that you know the outcome is uncertain and and there's excitement there. And uh, boxing is not that way. Boxing you know has created some of the most interesting, visually speaking, the most interesting sports movies. Uh, they, it just doesn't look the way it does on television with like the one static camera angle and maybe one angle here or there. That you know there's there's there there becomes this like very violent poetry to a lot of it with different angles and 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 shots and editing and. I don't know. I, 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 I tend to look forward to uh, boxing movies in a way that I don't look forward to boxing <laughs> the sport. Um, and I don't know. Maybe that maybe that uh, says something is, uh, you know, being a fan of a sport, sometimes you would almost prefer watching the real thing to the film version. You know, it's like heroin versus methadone. You know, it's like the real <laughs> thing versus the, the, the close approximation that'll get you there. But it's not it doesn't give you the real the real high. Well, I think also, Matt, that it's, it's it may be easier in some ways to replicate boxing on film in that I guess we've had over a century of fight scenes in movies. So, so the uh, person throwing a punch at somebody else is something that you know, people can do and fake you know, reasonably well. It's kind of hard to fake hitting a baseball. It's kind of hard even to fake you know, throwing a perfect spiral. 
So I think that's something where th to do that, they have to involve a lot of editing trickery and doubles and, you know, it, it's not quite the same experience as watching the game because you know it's been manipulated. That's, yeah, that's a great point. And, it, and it, not just, you know, the, the, simple, the simple thing of, you know, hitting the ball or throwing the spiral. You have to choreograph every person on the field, you know, with, with uh, football, you know, 22 people, with basketball, you know, 10 people and, and making them all look like they're, uh, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, uh, you know, choreographing a couple of punches is relatively easy compared to choreographing a play that makes it look completely natural and real. Like, yeah, you're right. It, that can be really tricky. Oh, and that's another thing too. That right. I mean, some of these uh, sports can really expose the limitations of the actors who are trying to play them. I, you know, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I, I don't think. I, I think I, well, I could hit off of Wiley Wiggins and uh, <laughs> Daisy Confused. And I and I, I feel like I could also just block every shot that any of those uh, kids and Hoosiers throw up. But I think the best sports movies are uh, in those two areas. I mean, they're both really just simple. Uh, you know, as as Noel was saying. Uh, you know, football is an incredibly complex game. Uh, you know, it's 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 the violence in the committee meetings, and there's the 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 rules are really uh, difficult to understand, even if you're a fan of football. Um, but uh, but you know, I mean, run. You know, I mean, what, what what's the line in, in Bull Durham? You 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 <laughs> you you uh, throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball, and in in boxing, it's in in boxing, it's even simpler than that. It's just two two people beating the hell out of each other and uh and uh just the compulsion to step in the ring and do that and punish other people and punish yourself uh you know i mean there's that's just that's that's just the the raw savagery that's that's uh masculinity there's just so many themes that kind of just go along with with that um i think you find also it's got like in, in football movies what happens is is that it's similar to, to poker movies yeah, you know, poker movies—they sort of make it the big, the big bluff or the big, which is not really how poker is is, is played. No. It's more of a grinding sport. So in football, it's always the big crazy play. I mean, you know, as much as we all loved uh, Friday Night Lights, the TV show, that was one of the biggest problems with that show was that every game had to, you know, had to end with some utterly improbable, implausible, you know, moment. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's absolutely true. Oh my gosh, we could have a whole, we should have a whole segment on on how bad poker is in the movies. Now that you mentioned it, it was like, you know, it's always like a, a thing. Where it's like I'm gonna, I'm I'm bluffing you with a full house. I don't know things like that happen. Um, but uh, so so let's get to to another big component of sports movies, which is the big game moment. Uh, you know, which which I still find endlessly appealing. I don't know about you guys. Uh, what, what do you? What is the appeal of the big game moment? What goes and what goes into making a good one? Um, well, you know, it's funny when we were first talking about this, uh, we talked about whether we should have a spoiler alert, and then we, it was sort of a joke, right? That why would you have a spoiler alert about the big game in a sports movie? Because we all know that they end with you know our our team winning, but that's yes. not actually true. Uh, I, I find actually um, it's never necessarily assured in these sports movies that the team is going to win. They sort of sometimes find other ways, uh, and we'll get to that more in a minute. But other ways to make it so that. Uh, the heroes can do well without necessarily coming away winning the championship or you know or making the big play. The key, I think, to the big game and the big moment in the game is to have a sort of switcheroo, like the team or the person is being just beaten to hell for the first half, and then some change in tactics or change in strategy, uh, some new approach, something you know uh, exciting that we haven't seen before. They bring that to bear. Uh, and then everything changes, and so it's it's kind of the fun of watching somebody think their think their way through a situation and come up with a, a a solution to a problem. What do you think, Matt? That that's interesting. This the the switcheroo. I'm not sure if that I've heard that described that way, but it makes sense the way Noel's uh, explaining it. I was thinking that for me, that uh, you know, I have a sort of similar kind of opinion of it in that. That uh, to, to me, the big game thing, you know, because it is such a cliche, you know, the ones that I enjoy most or that I think work the best are the ones that they make it a little bit more interesting, a little bit more complicated uh, and don't make it quite so easy or so obvious that the, uh, you know, the team that we are supposed to like or supposed to root for is going to win. There has to be there, there has to be some kind of problem. There has to be some kind of complication. Uh, it has to be some kind of, you know, like bitter victory or some kind of. Um, some kind of situation that just makes it a little, you know, that makes that, uh, you know, makes the the pill hard to swallow, you know, because 
Otherwise, it is kind of an obvious, uh, boring, cliched ending. But on the other hand, you understand why they why so many movies do it. I mean, it's sort of like you know the most easy and most dramatic climax you can have. You know, not just in sports movies. I mean, it just in almost any kind of movie, it's just like instant drama, instant stakes. Uh, all the characters on screen together. They can all resolve their issues at the same time while tens of thousands of people cheer for them, while music can swell. It just, you know, it lends itself to the big climax of a movie. So I certainly understand uh, why why uh, you would want to end a, a movie with, you know, the big game moment. But uh, yeah, for me personally, I tend to like the ones that are a little more unusual, a little more interesting and not just, you know, you know, the, the team you want to root for just winning. Happy, happy ever after the end. Yeah, I mean, the two that kind of come to mind for me in that respect, and this, this has to do with almost like different kind of victories more than, uh, more than losses, really, exactly, or, or things that you – they may be losses, but they're, but they're victories in a way. Uh, Rocky, of course, is one um, uh, where it's like, you know, we don't – we can't really expect – I think – I don't think we would respect the movie if, if this, this sort of palooka kind of came up and actually defeated Apollo Creed, but the fact that he gets in the ring and goes as far as he does and, and shows the resilience he does makes that ending – work it also i think with him the fact that whether he wins or loses is not necessarily the point uh, of of uh rocky um so i feel like that in that sense not in the sense it, whereas in the sequels that's maybe a different story uh and then of course maybe my favorite and i, I don't want to take I, maybe this is Knowles too but it's, i think tin cup is probably my, maybe my favorite big big game ending is that is that yours noel i don't want to take t- take your uh fire yeah, no, it is. I mean, uh, uh, there's a great moment in Ten Cup where uh, Kevin Costner's character uh, um, has a chance to win the U.S. Open, uh, and he's at a really difficult hole, and all he really needs to do is just kind of lay up, uh, make an easy uh, par, uh, you know, and, he, and he's, he's got a good chance to be you know, on, high up on the leaderboard and maybe even win, and instead he chooses to take the impossible shot, and he misses it. And then, uh, you know, that, that's bad enough, but then he does it again. And he does it again, and he does it again, and uh, Ron Shelton manages to kind of turn it as over the course of this particular scene from it being a moment of tragedy to being a moment of bizarre triumph. The fact that he's willing to go at it again and again and again, and it becomes less a you know uh, embarrassment and more of a look at this amazing thing this guy is trying to do, and then he eventually ends up making the shot and ending up with a twelve uh, on the whole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but but one that everybody will remember. Then no one's going to remember him laying laying up and then and then doing the conservative thing. And it's really kind of just it, it's nice in, that it takes place in that particular sport too, which is just such a conservative sport. Uh, you know, to have this irreverent character, this Ron Shelton type, uh, uh, do what he does in that in that film makes it makes it even sweeter uh, and, a, and a great triumph. That it's also again like, like Rocky, very revealing of character. There's another great uh, big game moment in another golf sports movie which is caddyshack where uh the good guys they basically cheat and then they <laughs> also lose but they they ultimately and again yeah we're i'm feel bad because we're kind of spoiling it if you've never seen caddyshack but then they ultimately win because of a timely explosion on the part of bill murray's uh groundskeeper character he, bl- he blows up the entire core so uh you know it, it's kind of this uh, sort of poking fun at the the uh, the cliche, and it's a nice summation of the, the movie's whole anarchic attitude. In that the ending, like the victory, comes by blowing up the country club, by destroying the stuffy uh, starch suits that are uh, in charge of it, and you know the, the 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 good guys, the slobs, get to win at the same time. And it's a it's a really fun moment, and and doesn't take itself too seriously or seriously at all. I mean, so, but are we being are we being kind of snobs about this whole thing here? Are we are we avoiding? You know, I mean, do do we get a, a charge when you know they play wild thing or whatever in Major League and out comes <laughs> out comes Charlie Sheen or or? No, no, or, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll give you one that sure. I like that's kind of in that it's sort of in that mold, which is uh, which is Rudy. All um, right, and, and that's that's an interesting case too because um, by the time Rudy enters the game and Rudy. Notre Dame, you know, it's a blowout. They've, they've won this game. So he, he doesn't really play a part in, in helping them win the game. It's just that, just that he gets in the game. And then he makes an you know, amazing open field tackle. 
uh, which is the sort of the icing on the cake of him actually getting in the game and having a whole stadium of people chant his name and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, you know, I can't help it. I, it's it's a it's the quintessential male te- male tearjerker, Rudy, and it works on me every time. Right. <laughs> it's a personal victory, not so much the the team victory. That's exactly. why it, that's why it works. Another one I thought of that's really good, and, and it isn't quite the simple big game, but it, it's really effective. Is the end of a league of their own. And what's kind of fun about that big game is that you actually have two characters up against each other and you're kind of rooting for both of them. And you don't really know who you want to win. It's not the obvious, you know, well, we want the good guys to win. We want the bad guys to lose. You know, you have Gina Davis and Laurie Petty who are sisters and they have this rivalry throughout the whole movie. And it comes down to the last play of the last game and like, <laughs> like literally a collision at the plate. And you, you know, as it's happening, you kind of you don't even really know who you want to win. And because these characters have been built up so well, it isn't an obvious ending. You don't know who's going to win. And so uh, I think that is a really effective and actually kind of genuinely suspenseful moment, which is not always something you get in in the big games. And a lot of those movies, it's sort of a foregone conclusion. So that's another one that uh, I really like. Again, I guess it's not the the most simple or most traditional form of big game moment, but uh I, I still, when I watch that movie, I still get caught caught up in that last play and the and the and the throw at the plate and everything. I I still love that scene. Yeah, I almost wish. Yeah, I always wish the film would have ended there. I was I was I was talking on the way in, in here to uh, to Genevieve about like if that movie just loses the the framing <laughs> device of them being in the Hall of Fame as old as old old ladies with like makeup on, like crazy makeup on and that sort of thing wigs or something i don't know i mean making it up does that all happen i, I don't know i think they have i think yes but i think they might be actually old actresses yeah, not yeah. old ladies oh, sh- you're, you're, you're <laughs> inventing i knew I, I knew there was something wrong with my analysis oh come on am i kidding <laughs> But I agree. If they had done that, that would have been really bad. <laughs> oh, they use different actresses. <laughs> one more, one more good one. One more good one. I'll throw out before we wrap up is uh, the original uh, Longest Yard. Oh, sure. Is another great like big game. And again, it's not as simple as the, either winning the game or losing the game. There's sort of. Uh, consequences for winning the game, where there will be reprisals from the uh, the evil warden against the the prisoners, and it's the sort of thing where you just have to, you know, it's like pride versus, uh, you know, uh, uh, the the right decision for their lives or the easy way out versus the hard way, and but but walking with your head held high and all that sort of thing. It really gets to sort of the uh, the kind of the uh, the importance of winning and all those sorts of. Uh, messages that we love about sports and uh i know that the the the, uh, the the original version particularly that that last game and the ups and downs and will they deliberately lose the game will they come back from behind will they win and what will happen if they win all those twists and turns makes the end of uh the longest yard really really effective all right well i think that's uh that that probably is good I, there's uh there's no crying in podcasts, from what I understand. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Noel, Matt, uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Scott. Thanks. Dave Itzkoff is a culture reporter for the New York Times. He's written two memoirs, Lads, a memoir of manhood in 2004, and Cocaine's Son, a book about growing up with a drug-abusing father in 2011. He's also one of the best Twitterers around. You can find him at at D-Itzkoff, I-T-Z-K-O-F-F. His new book is called Mad as Hell, The Making of Network and the Fateful Vision of the Angriest Man in Movies, about the controversy and prescience of Paddy Chayefsky's 1976 satire. He's been kind enough to talk to Nathan Rabin and I about it via Skype. We're pleased as heck to have Dave on, on the podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dave. Sure. Are, are we not allowed to say hell? Because that's going to be a big problem. Uh, well, you know, I just... <laughs> uh, so, you know, Network is a film by Paddy Chayefsky <laughs> in the middle of the most director-driven period in America in cinema history. Uh, how was he able to leverage that? Well, I think that that's something that was born out of his, you know, the breadth of his career and, and really a, a lifelong 
fight for control over his own work, you know, going back, you know, you can read like the introduction to the very first book that he ever published, which was a a collection of his uh, teleplays from the 1950s. And it's, it's sort of like this essay long complaint about how little, you know, control or power he's able to exercise over what he writes for television that, you know, the things that he writes, you know, they get rewritten without his consent and he doesn't get to consult on, you know, casting or any of the production details. And, you know, this is at like the earliest moment in his career when, you know, by all rights, you know, he doesn't necessarily deserve that level of control yet. And yet he's going to spend, you know, essentially the next 20 to 25 years fighting to, you know, insist that, you know, the only things he'll do are things where he's basically, you know, at the top of the ladder. Yeah. Uh, in the book, it seems like uh, at this time in uh, Chevsky's career, Judaism was very central to his identity, uh, definitely uh, very central to his writing. Do you see network kind of as an expression of that, as kind of being filled with a sort of uh, Old Testament fury, uh, uh-huh. kind of how the, how the world is going uh, insane? Well, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting point because, I mean, you know, certainly, you know, I mean, he was, you know, raised in, in uh, you know, in a Jewish household and, you know, had a bar mitzvah. Uh, and, and, I mean, he is not, uh, you know, I mean, there, there were certainly more observant people in, in the world than, than he, you know, I mean, uh, uh, but, I mean, certainly his, his uh, cultural identity as, as a Jew is very important to him. And he kind of goes through, uh, you know, I guess a period of, of maybe, you know, sort of, you know, rediscovery, uh, you know, in the 60s and 70s, I mean, certainly as, uh, you know, conditions in the Middle East get, you know, increasingly heated, and, and he becomes convinced that the, uh, you know, the state of Israel is uh, under much, you know, greater jeopardy and, and threats to its existence, and, uh, you know, I mean, you see him, for example, I mean, his 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 given name, by the way, I mean, we know it was not Patty, it right. Sid, Sidney. Great story, incidentally. Right, and his his production company used to be called Sydney Productions, and then at a certain point, uh, you know, in in that same phase, he changes the name of his company to Simcha Productions, which was the sort of the Hebrew equivalent of Sydney. So he is, you know, he he does kind of uh, you know get reconnected to. Uh, you know his his Jewish roots, and I mean certainly I, I think I can say this as a as a, a fellow Jew. I mean culturally we are very uh, argumentative people, very combative people. Uh, I disagree. Uh, and you know, and so, so I think you, you know. I mean, and 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 so I think that 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 part of him is certainly uh, manifest, shall we say? Right, because again, it seems like you know, there's so much, I guess, rage, uh, sort of boiling under, sort of inspiring the script. But it's not this nihilistic rage. It seems again very rooted in this very concrete sense of morality. Um, and again, sort of reading the book, it seems like at one hand he is this very prescient uh, figure, but also kind of this this throwback. Um, and again, it's sort of your book at one times a kind of um, uh, maybe sort of establishes you know sort of this persona or deepens this persona that he has as this a sort of sort of righteous crank, uh, while at the same time kind of contradicting that. I mean, do you think how much of, of that uh, is legitimate? How much of that is earned? How much of that uh, do you think is, is overblown? Yeah, well, I know. I, th- I mean, I think it is. It is sincere. I mean, he was, of course. You know, I mean, he, there, there was. You know, there were. You know, more dimensions to his personality than that, as there were. You know, there would be with with anyone. And I mean, you know, certainly his his family and and his son, who is still alive, you know, saw him in a very different way than you know his professional colleagues uh, would have. And and you know, I mean, even to people in the industry, I mean, he was very. Uh, you know, warm and and regarded as very funny and very you know jocular and 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 very quick with uh, you know cutting remarks. But I mean, he also you know I mean he was a very kind of simmering uh, personality. A lot of it you know this was you know internalized and would kind of come out uh, you know in in, in very quick you know bursts and in extreme uh, moments. And not not only the sort of you know the professional frustrations that we talked about and and a kind of continual dissatisfaction with everything that he did, no matter how, you know, successful it was or well-received it might have been. But, you know, a person who, as he kind of looked out into the world and the more the more successful he became and the more opportunities he had to see how the world really worked, you know, the more fearful he became for, you know, not, the future of New York City, the future of America, the future of the world, and, and, you know, very certain that, 
you know, all of these, you know, great institutions that, of, you know, that that we're accustomed to, were all going to fall apart. Right. It seemed like Israel, in, uh, in particular, was something that he felt was very, very threatened, and he felt like he had to protect. Protect exactly. from Vanessa Redgrave. <laughs> Vanessa Redgrave. <laughs> right. I mean, if he's if he isn't the one, you know, calling people's attention to this, and that, I mean, that yeah. I think goes back to your your sort of your idea of an Old Testament, uh, you know, figure that you know, if if you're given a, a perch from which to you, you know rally the people or or at least you know command their attention, then you've got to use that to make them aware of you know things that are potential dangers to to them, and he he. He saw a lot of dangers. So, Dave, this is, this is a question that I, I probably should have asked up top, but I wanted to—I just wanted just to basically to, to 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 know why you settled on this particular movie, what it, what its resonance is to you, and uh, and, and what uh, you, you know you sought to learn about it. Sure. Well, I mean, I've always had a kind of uh, you know interest and fixation on the popular culture, you know, of the 1970s. I think you know probably because I was born in 1976 and so you know i mean i have you know some vague you know recollections of that era but also because it's you know it's it's sort of just out of reach to me and so you know i think i think i romanticized that period i mean new york i grew up in in the city in the 70s and 80s and it was i mean a pretty terrible place uh to live uh at that time and yet you know we all i think in some ways wish we could kind of go back to that there were there were things that were still kind of uh i, I mean it's me saying we're weird thing to say but a charming time in a strange way I and mean, things were things were things were simpler then even if uh, even you know even if times square was not necessarily filled with uh, you know broadway shows and tourist traps at the time and and so you know to be able to um you know, just to, to 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 get to tell the story of a particular work that was made in that era was exciting. But then, you know, I about three years ago, uh, you know, I was given access to some of Chayefsky's papers, uh, you know, all of which are owned by the New York Public Library, and 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 anybody can you know request to see them. And they had started sharing with me, you know, just some of the pages, uh, you know, from. Uh, you know, not only the screenplay drafts of Network that Chayefsky wrote, but just, you know, correspondence that he was keeping at the time and things like, you know, letters that he wrote, for example, to like Paul Newman to see if he could persuade him to play Howard Beale and, you know, letters that he wrote to uh, Walter Cronkite and John Chancellor after the movie came out, like basically apologizing for, you know, how their industry was depicted in the film and uh, you know, just all all of these really uh, just you know vivid details uh, of of a you know about a film uh, whose story just never really seemed to have been fully told before. Right? Uh, do you think something like Beale's breakdown uh, could have the same impact uh, today that it did back in 1976? Because I'm just thinking uh, on the way over here, uh, sort of a, a news personality acting crazy uh, and passionate and kind of, you know, spitting and acting apoplectic. That's kind of the starting point. Uh, that's not the worst case scenario. It seems like, you know, in order for something like that to really have that kind of resonance, there has to be this cultural consensus. There has to be these figures that people believe in. And it seems like there really are not those people anymore. Uh, um, I mean, yeah, I, th I, I mean, you know, not to equivocate, but I think the answer is uh, yes and no. I mean, I think that, that yeah, it's it's very true on the one hand that, you know, I mean, you know, broadcast news in general and, and just, you know, network television doesn't have that kind of, you know, power or reach in the way that it that it did, in, you know, in 1976, that it's considerably more, you know, splintered and, and niche and, you know, no more than, you know, five or six million people seem to be watching, uh, you know, any particular channel at any given time. But, I mean, you do have, you know, these moments of, you know, in particular, like, you know, news anchors and on-air news personalities kind of popping off. And, and like, I mean, you all, if you look, for example, even a few years ago, uh, you know, that sort of interesting, you know, monologue slash rant that Rick Santelli gave on CNBC about five years ago, that people sort of cite that as the sort of moment that instigated the creation of the Tea Party. So you do you do still have this kind of weird nexus between, you know, television and uh, American rage, and that if, if those things kind of sync up at the right time, uh, you know, it can be extremely powerful. 
Right. I mean, but it seems like we don't have like a Walter Cronkite anymore. And that seems like kind of part of the, the, the dark promise of network is what would happen if Walter Cronkite just went completely batshit insane. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, that was always the sort of the, 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 the genesis or the instigating moment of, of the film that, that, you know, I mean, Chayefsky has these concerns that, you know, certainly television in his day is so powerful that, you know, and, you know, people who are given that kind of spot on air to basically talk directly to an audience are so powerful that, you know, what if you give that power to somebody who is, you know, either mentally unstable or just not trustworthy. And, you know, how how would that then spin out? How is that going to change that person's relationship to their audience? And then how is the sort of, you know, the broadcasting structure around that person going to, to react? So, uh, Dave, could you describe for, for us the, the impact that Network had on the culture at the time? Because it, it's, it's, its release strategy alone was a little bit unusual, right? Well, it was kind of split in terms of you know the, the crowds that received it and and how they received it. That certainly within the news industry itself, I mean, it was uh, you know I mean the reaction there was really sort of uh, you know vehement and negative, and and the the business you know completely disowned it in in part because you know Chayefsky had been given access to you know the network news operations at CBS and NBC and ABC he had kind of come by doing research just to see you know how these people did their jobs and took notes and you know nobody ever really you know asked him what kind of film he was going to write and he didn't really know what he was writing at the time and so that it, the fact that it turned into such a kind of you know scathing depiction of their industry uh you know that's why folks like Cronkite and Chancellor were so you know horrified and offended by the movie um but that all sort of helps you know feed into the atmosphere of controversy around the film and that drives a lot of you know sort of you know rank and file ticket buyers to go out and see it and it does do it did end up doing very well at you know at the box office it was made for a budget of you know less than 4 million and it probably made about 20 million in its original uh release and then of course it went on to become uh you know the most oscar nominated movie of the year and it won you know won four oscars uh but even you know even within the critical community the reaction was very polarized that there were critics you know who were strongly in favor and then there were critics uh, who strongly, strongly disliked it. I mean, there really was no, n- nobody who just had a kind of, you know, so-so reaction to the movie. And I don't, I, I can't imagine that, that, uh, that they would want it any other way, right? It doesn't make, it wouldn't make sense for, to, to put a movie like Network out and not get that kind of a response. Uh, no, the, no, I think, I mean, in, in some ways it probably would have been a failure if, you know, if it got, if it got very tepid reviews and people said, oh, it was funny in places and, uh, you know, now, you know, now let's go out to dinner. I don't, I don't think that's, uh, <laughs> that would probably be the, 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 the worst reaction to, uh, to a film like this. Chesky was not going for a lukewarm. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, Dave Itzkoff, the book is Mad as Hell. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank All you. All right. Now it's time for our game this week, which I'm calling Where Did I Leave My Keyword? I will give each of you four keywords, three used to describe a movie on the IMDb and one that doesn't belong. You must tell me the one that doesn't belong. If you get that right, you can then name the movie for a bonus point. Now, you're going to be tempted to say the title of the movie first. And for that, I will punish you by docking you a point. (laughs) And if you fail to pick out the wrong keyword, you will get no points for, for knowing the movie. All right, so yeah, this I'm I'm doling out punishment on this uh, on this game segment. This sounds uh, incredibly complicated. It is not. It is not complicated, <laughs> Keith. Okay. You name. I give you four keywords. You name the one that doesn't belong, and then if you get that right, you name the movie if you can for a bonus point. You sure this game isn't called Do Everything in Meticulous Order? <laughs> <laughs> Quiet, you. Uh, and since this is Clueless Week here at the Dissolve, uh, all the titles will be high school films or films with a high school in them uh, from the 1990s. Uh, joining me are... Keith Phipps. Taj Robinson. Nathan Ray. Okay, uh, let's let's uh, start with you, Keith Phipps. Are you ready? Yes. Here are the four words, or the four, four keywords. Here we go. Sprinkler system, apple polisher, Kansas... Lesbianism. Um, okay, I didn't know the film. Mm-hmm. And sprinkler system. Apple polisher. Mm-hmm. Kansas. Uh, 
Lesbianism. I think I know the film. Mm. Oh, boy. Um, I'm going to say that Sprinkler System does not belong. That is incorrect. No. Uh, the film is... Wild Things? No, Election. Oh. It's Election, oh. and, and, yeah. and Kansas is the... Is the wrong word because it's, it's wow. Nebraska. Nebraska. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah That's yeah. right. Okay. Uh, Tasha, we move on to you. Oh, yeah, I'm already terrified. Okay. <laughs> it's not complicated. It's really easy. It's, oh, hey. <laughs> oh, if only we had, uh, no eye we rolling. had podcast noises for that eye roll. Yeah, I think there's like a, what, what is like a, we should put in a little sound effect wow, for, the lo- for the eye roll, just kind of like a little <laughs> disturbing little glossy noise. Um, okay, Tasha. <laughs> That's what Keith's eye roll sounds like. Shortwave radio, hit on the head with a chair, <laughs> topless, freedom of speech. Is this a Wallace Berry wrestling movie? <laughs> Shortwave radio, hit on the head with a chair, topless, freedom of speech. I have no clue. Keith knows what it is, and he's mouthing things. I, Keith, you, you need to learn about radio and, and how, it's, <laughs> how it's noise only. This is not picture phone. All right, one more time. A shortwave radio. Hit on the head, on the head, with, head with, the chair, with the chair. Topless, oh, freedom shit. of speech. I totally know this. I, I love being sandwished between two guys who do the answer when I have absolutely no idea. Um, I'm going to say shortwave radio. No. Oh, let me just say this is a vehicle for the best actor in the world. Maybe his finest performance is a hard, uh, hard on here. Yep. Uh, pump, pump up the volume. Pump up the volume. No, I've never seen it. And the, and the missing, the, the, the word. Uh, well, it, definitely, it definitely has, uh, definitely has shortwave radio. It definitely has uh, toplessness. Yeah. Definitely has freedom of speech. Yep. So the fourth one. Right. Hit on the head of the, the chair. Yes. It's from, an, from, I took that from an Annette Fluticello uh, 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 beach movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she, she was an evocateur? Uh, it was like, it was like Malibu beach party. It's got somebody hit on the head with a chair. Okay. Uh, Nathan, this is you. All right. Man eating from dog dish, calling parent by first name, <laughs> caveman, cryogenics. Okay. Remember uh, this, this, the motion, keyword? this motion picture isn't. Do not, do, do not give the title. Oh, I can't give the title? Do not give okay. the title. I can't give the title yet. Okay. Um, eating from dog dish. That's definitely something that would happen in this motion picture. Calling parent by first Probably name. Probably being done by Brendan Fraser. Um, well, so, okay. Calling parent by first name. I'm not sure if that happens. Cave- but is, that is the kind of uh, thing that Polly Shore would do. In Caveman? The 90s. Caveman, that definitely. Cryogenics. Is. Cryogenics. So I'm going to say calling parent by, that's right. by first name. Call- and, the, and the movie is Encino. Correct. That's right. right. Thank you. Two points for Nathan on that, though. I I heard a little bit of and see, I saved you from uh, a certain, <laughs> certain peril there. Uh, Keith, is, Keith, do you? Yes. Okay. Computer cracker, skateboard, fight the system, Cold War. These are nineties films. Yes. Yes. Computer right. cracker, skateboard, fight the system, Cold War. And set. Hmm. 90s films. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me it was going to be a 90s game. Who was watching movies in the 90s? Yeah. Uh, Cold War. So I'm guessing it would have to be toward the beginning of the 90s. I'm looking for it. No. All right. Computer Cracker. Skateboard. Skateboard. Fight the system. Cold the system. War. Oh, maybe Cold War doesn't belong. Hmm. I um. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm drawing it. Well, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a, 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 a stat. I'm gonna say Cold War. Does Correct. Not All right. So that leaves Computer Cracker. Fight the system. Skateboard. Skateboard. Um, yeah, the film. I don't know. I don't know. The film was Hackers. Yes, but, but that oh, was really? that was Which well, I never seen. Yeah, that was, I was very well thought through. Well. Yeah, yeah. With, well, the other one being uh, gleaming the cube, but that was yeah. yeah. Well, the skateboard. The skateboard scene is pretty. Is That's kind true. of a classic. And yeah, uh, hackers, hackers is one of those uh, cl- classic films I've never seen. Oh, he's rolling his eyes again. <laughs> I know. I, Everybody, I'm, I'm really tempted to set off the roosters. <laughs> All right, uh, Tasha, to you, uh, virginity. Venereal oh, disease. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of these things is not like the other. Virginity, venereal disease, cat killer, date rape. <laughs> wow, that's that's a hell of a set. Yeah, it is. Virginity, venereal, venereal disease, cat killer. Is is that a metaphor? Uh, it's something that happens. Date rape. Oh, it's it's something that uh, happens. In, so that one's in, in the film. In a film. <laughs> in a film Maybe somewhere. not this one. Okay, 90s high school movies featuring cat-killing date rapists with venereal diseases <laughs> losing their virginity. It's <laughs> so a dark period much, for Richard Grieco. That's pretty much all of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we, I mean, one of these things is pretty clearly not like the other, but I, I, I just I wonder if that's a little too obvious. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with date rape. You are wrong. You should have gone with your first instinct. It's cat, cat killer. killer. What's the name of that movie, Nathan Raven? I'm totally blind. What if I were to say virgin? Wait. Oh, kids. That's right. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I totally should have known that. I know. Oh, oh. I, I, I'm picking these clues just so you can virgin. do. Oh, totally. Yeah. Just so you can do some shit. Oh, they're talking about these virgins. It's like I'm addicted or something. <laughs> All right. right. I'm terrified. Oh, <laughs> uh, Nathan, this oh, is to you. Virgins. All right. Where, where's Cat Killer from, by the way? Uh, Gummo. All right. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. yeah. Sure, sure. Yep. Clever, right? Um, iceberg, pastiche. Tragic love and aquarium. That's you, Nathan. Tragic love, pastiche, and aquarium. Huh. Iceberg, I think, would seem to suggest the motion picture entitled Titanic, uh, which I do not believe. Uh, it has many high schools in it. No. <laughs> I mean, I think. Uh, I think I've crashed into his code. I followed the train of thought, and I could, I could do this one if it were me. But, Ooh. Uh, yeah. Okay. So let's. Uh, so what do you say? What, what's the keyword missing? Okay. What, what is, what's the, what's the keyword? Let's go through here again. Iceberg, pastiche, iceberg, pastiche, tragic love, tragic aquarium. Tragic love or aquarium. Tragic love, 1990s. You know, like high schools, aquarium, iceberg. Hmm. I'm starting to feel like we're playing the world's worst game of taboo. I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say iceberg. Then. Iceberg is correct. That, that, that seems to be the one. So, so the three that are left in so aquarium, tragic love, tragic love, pastiche. We're gonna, have to, we're gonna have to. Okay. Here. It's Romeo and Juliet. Oh, how? Good when the how the hell could I not get uh, that uh, right? The Tobias logic here is iceberg. He looked at another Leonardo DiCaprio movie for oh, the keyword yeah, ice, yeah. iceberg. Ah, so there we go. If you can eliminate iceberg, because I can't think of any high school movies involving iceberg, but I can't think of a high school movie involving Leonardo DiCaprio. So ergo, oh, there we yeah. go. That that is very very smart. Okay, Keith, this is to you. Parade. Characters killed one by one. Hook. White male pretending to be black. Okay, I think I know the film. Okay. Um, the um, all right. One more time. The what are the keywords? Parade. Mm-hmm. Characters killed one by one. Okay. Hook. Mm-hmm. White male pretending to be black. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. All right. It's it's either the first one or the last one. So I'm gonna opt to eliminate parade. Uh, that is incorrect. Oh. That is incorrect. That the climactic scene uh, takes place in a parade, parade if I recall. This is uh, the film, though, you know, is. The film is I Know What You Did Last Correct. Summer. Wait a minute. And I, I'm going to try to follow, to, to unravel the Tobias logic. Sure. <laughs> the, the, the cast in that includes, uh, what's his name? Jamie Kennedy, right? Okay. And he, there's another film in which he's a white character pretending to be black, and that's where you got the keyword from. Uh, no, actually, Mel Moves yeah. Wanted, and he is not actually in uh, the screen. He was uh, in, well, but not. Right. I know what you did all last time. Right. Sure, all but right, no, the, no, it's the sequel. There's someone in the sequel uh, uh, to. I still oh, know what okay. you did that right. last time. That would be right. Jack Black's character. Uh, is is a it's a white character, a Caucasian gentleman who behaves in an African American. I thought he's a white character pretending to be Jack Black. So what's layers upon layers upon layers? You guys were like the worst grade grubbers ever. You're like, I, I didn't actually write the essay that was assigned to me, but I know so what? much about other things relating to this topic. What's the score here, Genevieve? Uh, it is, uh, so Nathan has got three, Keith one, Tasha nothing. But Tasha has a chance. Come on, Tasha. Here oh, we I go. don't have a chance. Let's be real about this. No, you got it. You got this one. Reference to Fabio. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, that movie. Uh, Mount Rushmore, Paintball, Serenade. <sighs> You know, I bet everybody in this room uh, has a better idea uh, <laughs> than me. Oh, well, Keith is shaking his head. We need a different sound effect for that. Shaking his head, he doesn't have an idea. <laughs> um, all right, let's go with let's go with Mount Rushmore. Good. Yes, correct. And the film is Rushmore. No, it is not. Oh, dang it! I thought you were trying to. <laughs> no, you were, you were no. trying to trick me on that one. Uh, no, uh, the, the film is Ten Things I Hate About You. Oh, Serenade. Paintball. Oh, she knew yeah, it. Yeah. I don't think okay. there's a reference to, to Fabio in Rushmore, is there? No, th- there is no, one in 10 Things not. I Hate there About should, You. There should be, though. Oh, you're saying, yeah. right. Yeah. Reference to Fabio is probably, that would that would not be Rushmore. Um, so, uh, Nathan, on to you. Those are kind of the timeless there. elements that Wes Anderson likes to throw in. Yeah. He would do paintball he, though. He does yeah. like his his like oh, yeah. strange little really references, and uh, yeah. you know he, his people are not entirely unaware of the world around them. Okay, Nathan Raven. Yes. Girl with glasses, spontaneous choreography, beatboxing, mullet haircut. <laughs> 
girl with glasses. Spontaneous choreography. Spont- oh my god, you're you were talking about blah, the, blah, blah, oh, blah, okay, okay, you're talking about <laughs> spontaneous choreography, possibly choreographed by Joseph and uh, played by Usher Raymond. That dance I taught you all, possibly uh, to the song Rockefeller Skin by Fat Boy Slim. <laughs> Right about you still now. haven't done the, the essay, Abe. So, brother, right about now. <laughs> <laughs> but what's okay, missing? Uh, the, 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 okay, the... Anymore, we have to pay the rights for that song. <laughs> <laughs> right about now. Fat Boy Slim never did. He's a rebel, man. Okay, so spontaneous choreography is obviously going to be it. Uh, what are the other three? Beatboxing and mullet haircut. Hmm, I'm going to say that the mullet haircut is something that does not appear in the picture entitled She's All That. Correct. That that was in another Freddie Prinze Jr. film. But that's a, that's a solid, so another two points for Nathan, who is who's well ahead at this yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Keith, high school football, mm-hmm. vagina, mm-hmm. narrow-mindedness, <laughs> <laughs> title directed by female. Are you sure this isn't a haiku <laughs> of your own creation? <laughs> high school football. Vagina, <laughs> narrow-mindedness, title directed by female. Why title directed by female? That's a keyword. Yeah, but well, the, the movie is directed. I'm, by I'm confused by the keyword here. I guess it, it title uh, directed by female. That is it, 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 that is referring to to yeah. the film that it, with a female director. Uh, if I can eliminate one of them, I can probably see the movie more clearly. But that is a weird combination of uh, elements there. So I think another film that'll probably help you with. Uh, um, and I. Oh, wait, I think, well, maybe high school football doesn't fit in then. I don't high school football. No. Oh. No, no. The uh, title directed by female does not fit in. The movie is? Varsity Blues. Varsity oh, Blues. Right. What? Yep. Well, there's some, some real I narrow-mindedness was, I, being displayed I, by Jen Voigt. Well, let me, I think, though. It's better we, than some real vagina being displayed. If we eliminate <laughs> high school football, it could be girls, uh, uh, boys don't cry. Um... Could be, but isn't. <laughs> uh, but but is not. In another more accurate way, varsity blues is right. Uh, uh, yes, but high school football actually is. Uh, okay. Those movies are very similar, though, when you think about it. Harley Swank tells her father, but "I, I don't want your laugh." A completely different movie. You should take that yeah, instead. It's, it's going to be it's going to be our next twin cinema entry. Varsity uh, uh, <laughs> um, blues, boys don't cry. I th- this is uh, I, I don't know. Nathan's almost. Uh, put this out of reach, but but we'll keep going because uh, we only have two more clues left. Uh, Tasha, here you go. <laughs> well, eliminating one of two will be much easier. Yeah, ready? Star-crossed lovers, female, female kiss, rich snob, sexual corruption. Uh, hmm. You've got it. <laughs> I think I'm just, just all just completely in Genevieve's wheelhouse. Um. All right, give me the four clues. Okay, again. star-crossed lovers, female, female kiss, rich snob, Sexual corruption. Uh, is Star-Crossed Lovers the incorrect one? That's correct. So the movie would be, um, oh, crap. The Cruel Intentions. Boom. Got it. Oh, nice. Very good. Well done, Tasha. I, I, think, I think Nathan <laughs> still has this out of reach, basically. But Nathan, for just for some bonus, a bonus point here or two. Uh, I'm just going to say uh, class, uh, National Lampoon Senior Trap. <laughs> okay. All right. Daughter sleeps with mother's lover. Goth girl. Reference to JFK assassination. Bondage equipment. Oh goodness! I totally am uh, narrowing in on what this is, but that doesn't make any sense because that would be the house. Okay. Um, I'm gonna say. Bondage equipment? That's right. Say that it's the house of yes? No, it's Wild Things. Oh, wild. we had to get Wild how Things. How the hell did I get that so wrong? I also thought it was House of Yes. <laughs> That's so weird. Wow. Which does, again, Mother no, sleeps is, is there with any high school stuff lover. in that movie? Um, oh, yeah. Freddie Prince Jr. in it. So I think by by, associ- <laughs> by association, sure. it's high school. Yeah, sure. sure why not? Well, Nathan, you've won uh, this. Handily. Uh, how, how are you going to... Uh, you know, spend whatever uh, fake money or <laughs> how are you going to celebrate this victory, Nathan? I'm going to purchase a lot of Bitcoins. <laughs> okay. And he's going to dance to some Usher, usher music. Bitcoins and Usher. All right, uh, Keith, Tasha, Nathan. And you guys, uh, thanks for playing. you're all going to do that dance I taught you, right? <laughs> we're, we're all doing it right now. <laughs> And now we've reached 30 seconds to sell, wherein... 
Tasha Robinson. And Nathan Raven. Have 30 seconds to convince me to buy the recommendation, whether it's for a film, a soundtrack, an idea, whatever. I barely have 30 seconds to listen to a recommendation, let alone follow one, so the pressure is on. You all ready? Well, after that, <laughs> well, prepare to be disappointed, Scott. Yep. I'm trying to come up with a, a 30 second uh, pop cultural thing that I could recommend to you, and I'm, I'm having a little trouble with that. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, Tasha Robinson, let's start with you. Three, two, one. Go. All right. If you're anything like me, you like listening to music at work, but you can't listen to anything that's too distracting, which is why I want to recommend the soundtrack to Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, created by Alexander Desplat, uh, performed by the Ospov State Russian Orchestra. It's, as all with all Wes Anderson films, uh, music is extremely important to making this uh, movie happen. But it's also just a really good soundtrack. It's uh, really weird and eclectic, uh, but very urgent, uh, good for keeping your work uh, energy up, and very, very weird. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Tasha. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nathan, uh, it's, it's on you now. Pressure? Because that, that was, a, I have to say, a pretty smooth <laughs> presentation. I don't want to put too much uh, on you here. Okay, you ready? All right. Three, two, one, go. All right. A lot of our readers uh, probably won't believe this, but Nicolas Cage is a great, great actor, uh, which he doesn't do a whole lot. He doesn't do a lot of acting or great acting these days, but he is absolutely magnificent as sort of a grizzled, uh, hard-drinking, hard luck, but fundamentally lovable uh, and and good ex-con in Joe, which is David Gordon Green's uh, newest film. It's an adaptation of Larry Brown's Southern Gothic novel, and oh my God, it is a return to form for Green and Cage. Uh, absolutely magnificent in the vein of mud. Absolutely good. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, I, was, uh, I, I, will, I will watch those last eight things weren't actual words. Yeah. I'm not even sure they were yeah. sounds. I'm yeah. not sure what those were. Yeah, it was. You were doing well, then you tried the triple lutz and just <laughs> landed on your ass. Yeah, it was like even uh, flaming with uh, Jerry Lewis in 1954 <laughs> towards the I apologize. Um, uh, well, I think both of those things are are, are <laughs> even I, even I of the no attention span will want to. I've seen Joe and and, and, and quite like Nicolas Cage in it. Uh, but uh, let's give it to Tasha here. Uh, very, uh, you know, I can care. Listen to thing, things that work uh, that won't uh, keep you from uh, being productive. You know, I'm, I'm going to download. Multitask. All right. Well, I want to see I'm, Joe. I'm so so I, think it, I think it all works out for everybody, except Scott, who doesn't have much time. No. So he's going <laughs> no to time. listen to the Grand Budapest soundtrack on his headphones is, is while he, watching He's going to listen to a 30-second uh, sample of the Grand Budapest Hotel. Then he's going to watch yeah, the that's trailer. What, that's how I do Joe. things. I just go on iTunes and listen to the sample. So, yeah, uh, that sounds uh, good I'm like Michael Scott in that respect. Uh, Tasha Robinson, Nathan Rabin, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That does it for episode 17 of the Dissolve podcast. Please join us in two weeks for more opinions, insight, and general tomfoolery. In the meantime, you can enjoy the Dissolve in Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, and website form. If you have any questions or thoughts, please email us at feedback at the Dissolve.com. The Dissolve podcast is produced by Genevieve Kosky with assistance from Colin Griffith. And if you'd like, we'd encourage you to post ratings and or comments on the show on iTunes because we're told that helps in some way. <laughs>